Ephesians chapter 2. So one of the things that I've kind of gotten into lately um, is trying to figure out like family trees and ancestry, right? Anybody got the ancestry app on their phone? Anybody doing any of that? Or ancestry.com. Super fun. I haven't done like the 23andMe test thing. That kind of freaks me out a little bit. But um, so I've been been figuring that out, right? Got the app, trying to build my, my family tree based off of people I I know, okay, I'm actually related to these people. And then the the cool thing about that is like once you start to kind of plug in some information, it kind of in a big brother way starts like building your other, hey, this is your cousin and these, you know, this great grandmother had these 17 kids and and you have to kind of see it it, it add things together, right? And and I love doing this for two reasons. One, I'm a huge history buff. Um, I love history, right? Like I'm, I'm the one that geeks out about like documentaries on Netflix, right? Like, I, Katie falls asleep because she needs action. But, like, I love those things, right? I love the History Channel. I love documentaries. I love, you know, conspiracy theories and, and all, that, all that fun stuff, right? So I, I, I geek out about history just in general. And the, but the second reason that I love um, really building um, my family tree is because it as I'm building my family tree and finding out information, because like when you get into ancestry, it tells you like, okay, they were married to this person, they lived here, and they lived in this era, and the more you build your, your family tree, the more you start to kind of understand who, who you are, right? Where, where did you come from? How, how do you process things? Why are you the way that you are? Why do you think the way that you think? Why, why do you like the things that you like, right? Like all those things start to kind of make sense as you learn more and more about your identity. And at the end of the day, understanding your identity, who you are, informs how you process not just you and your life, but those around you, right? So as we dig into Ephesians chapter 2 today, Paul's really going to dig into this idea of identity. He has spent so much time first in chapter 1 telling you about God's plan of salvation from the beginning of history and its salvation from God's point of view. But then uh, he begins in chapter 2 to talk about salvation from man's point of view. And he, he wants you to know who you were, right? The last time I was with you, we talked about how we were dead in our trespasses and sins, how we were falling after Satan, how we were chasing after the passions of this world, and how God rescued us, and, and he lavished his love upon us, and he gave us mercy. And then Dan, last week, continued that, that thought process that because of what Christ has done, he has torn down the dividing wall between us and Christ. Not only that, but for those of us that are Gentiles, that were outside the people of God, he has taken those who were far off and he has brought us near. And now he has created in his body one new humanity, right? We are a new creation. We're a new humanity built on the finished work of Jesus, right? And so Paul's laying out this idea of identity because the more that we understand who we are, that then will inform how we act, right? If we understand who we are, then that operates not only how we act, but how we think about those around us and even how we think about ourselves. So if you would join me in Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to dig into verse 19 through 22. Let's read. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. 
built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grew into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Central Prez. I thank you for what you're doing in the city of Little Rock. I thank you for the, the families and the friends that you have brought and what you're, you're knitting together in this beautiful tapestry of God's children. I, I ask now that you would bless the reading of your word, that you would bless the preaching of your word, that you would do the thing that I can't do that you would open eyes, that you would change hearts, that you would give ears to those who can't hear, and you would give eyes to those who can't see. Would you please help me? Help me to remember the things that I've studied this week and be able to articulate them well so that you will be glorified. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here, Paul is going to, in building our identity and understanding who we are, He's going to give us three key things. So for my type A note takers, let me go ahead and give you my points, right? He is going to give us three things for us to understand. First, we're going to see that we are citizens. Next, we're going to see that we are members. And lastly, we're going to see that we are the temple. So we are citizens, we are members, and we are the temple. First, we're going to see that we are citizens. Notice what he says in verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints. Notice what he says. So then, based off of what he just told you about how he has broken down the dividing wall of hostility, he has brought together two people into one new humanity. He, because of that, so then, because that is true, you now need to understand who you are who your identity is, because our identity, the thing we find our hope, identity, and security in, impacts how we then process and live our lives in Christ. So first he's going to tell you that you're citizens. Notice the language that he uses here. It's a contrast language that you, once you are no longer aliens and strangers, right? He uses this language of kingdom citizenship. You were once aliens. You were once strangers. You were once immigrants. If we were putting it in the context of the things that we read every day in the news, you were once on the outside of the wall, and now you've been brought on the inside of the wall. In the kingdom of God, there are no walls. We don't build walls. We don't build gates. We don't fear the other. We don't push out the stranger. We invite the stranger in, in the kingdom you have now been brought in because all of us outside of Christ were the other. You were the immigrant. You were the alien. You were the stranger. You were the one that was outside. You were the enemy of God, but now you are no longer strangers and aliens. You now are citizens. And understand the importance here that you are citizens of a kingdom that you have been invited into. This is huge, right? That we are not trying to usher in a kingdom, but Christ himself has brought in, has inaugurated his own kingdom and invited you and me to have a seat at his table. He has given you a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We are part of a kingdom 
that cannot be shaken. And we sit under the reign of a king whose reign will never end. You are no longer strangers and aliens. You are citizens of the kingdom of God. That's the first thing he wants you to understand. And as Paul is going to give you these three different identity themes, he is going to get more intimate as he goes through this passage. First, big picture, you're a part of a kingdom. And King Jesus sits on the throne, securely reigning forever. He is the one that presented himself once he had ascended into heaven before the ancient of days, victorious. The work is done. You don't have to try to work and perform and hope that you're ushering in a kingdom and having to hope for the best. No, you have been invited into this kingdom of whom you are now citizens. How then does this impact how we live? We then now live a life as citizens of this kingdom, understanding who we once were. So then you look at the other, you look at the person that's different than you, you look at the the person that's on the outside of the wall that's trying to get in to the kingdom and you go and bring them in. Not that you can do anything to save them, but you invite them into the kingdom, into the family of God and say, let me tell you about this peace. Let me tell you how the war is over. Let me tell you what Christ has done. There's a seat for the at the table before the king come hang out. It impacts everything, right? We don't have time to have prejudice against those that don't think the way that we do and don't look the way that we do and don't act the way that we do. No, you used to be the alien and the stranger, so now you interact with the alien and the stranger in that sort of way. If we want to get real specific, you used to be the kid in the cage. You used to be the mother in the caravan but you are now invited into the kingdom, rescued from your imprisonment, rescued from your hopelessness. Remember what he said last week? You were without hope and without God in the world. So then how do you interact with your coworker, your neighbor, your family member, your friend, the other? You love them because you used to be them. So the first thing he tells you is that you are citizens But notice what else he says. Your fellow citizens with the saints. This is what Dr. King talked about when he talked about this beautiful tapestry of all God's children. That we are part of a beautiful thread in the redemptive history of what God has done. He isn't doing something different or strange. It isn't as if the God of the Old Testament was doing one thing and the God of the New Testament took some Prozac and now he's chill. No, like he is doing one thing that you are a part, if you have faith in Jesus, you are a part of the family of God, that you have just as much lineage and tie to your faith as Abraham and Isaac and Ruth and Esther and Rahab. You are a part of the family of God, that you are citizens of this kingdom with the saints. So then when you open up to Matthew chapter 1 and you read the lineage, hey, guess what? That's your family. When you go to Luke and you read the lineage, guess what? That's your family. They're not superheroes that had extraordinary faith that you're trying to mimic. Though They they were broken sinners desperately in need of a savior. Abraham lied about his wife being his sister twice. Jacob deceived his father. 
David was an adulterer. They're all broken. We're all broken. They're not better. You're a part of this beautiful tapestry, this mosaic of broken pieces that has been put together to build this beautiful picture under the blood of Jesus Christ. You're citizens with the saints. But not only are you citizens of a kingdom. Remember, he's going to get more specific, more intimate. You are members. Notice what he says. Let's go back to verse 19. And you're members of the household of God. You're members of a family. Not just members of a club. This isn't the Rotary. This isn't Kiwanis. This isn't the country club. You are members of the family of God. That God's very blood in the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, shed his blood for you to be in this family. You are members of the household of of God. Now, now, let me get personal for a second, right? I came from a background of three generations of alcoholics. My dad was an alcoholic. His dad was an alcoholic. His dad was an alcoholic. They were dysfunctional, abusive, and absent. So growing up in the church as I did, when, without having a dad around, the men in the church became my dad. Men, do you hear that? There, there are kids that could come to your church, Central Prez, that don't have a dad. That don't know what it's like to go camping or fix your car or build anything. They didn't have a dad. Same thing with the moms. There are kids and there are people, even adults, who are coming to you with mom and dad issues and ladies Titus is very specific, right? The older men teach the younger men. The young, older women teach the younger women. God has built this beautiful family of people who may, didn't, may have not had a family. Now, all of a sudden, you have a family. You were on the outside, and now you have been brought near. And you may say, Gage, you, you don't know my family. No one, I promise you. I, my aunt is back here. She, we got the receipts. No one... <laughs> puts more fun and dysfunction than, than the Jordans. I promise you. I promise you. Whatever baggage and carry-ons that you have in your mind when you think about family, leave that at the cross because now you have been given this new family, this new identity where every person that puts their faith in Jesus Christ is now your brother, sister, father, mother. That's exactly what Jesus said on the cross, right? John... Behold your mother. Mary, behold your son. When Mary thought Jesus was crazy and she had just a, a temporary moment where she forgot of who Jesus was, notice what he says. This, this is my family. These are my brothers and sisters, my mother and father. Whoever it is that does the will of my father. How, how do you do the will of your father? You have faith in Jesus. He's done the will of your father. Guess what? You don't have to do any work. You're a part of the family. So not only are you citizens of this kingdom that cannot be shaken, but you are members of a household of God. That's the thing of my family. Family knows you. They know you're good. They know you're bad. They know your flaws. They know your shortcomings. And they love you anyway. Right? 
They put up with you anyway. Are you known like that in Central Press? Or are you just coming to church every day and, or every Sunday and checking the box of, hey, I attended a service and I listened to Dan yell at me for 30 minutes and now, now I'm good. <laughs> right? That's why Dan is pleading with you to join community groups. That's why there are 6.30 Bible studies with executives at the Simmons Tower. That's why there are Braveheart retreats. That's, that's why. Because you are a family. And in your family, you need to both know and be known. That's the intimacy of what God is talking about in the, the eschatological passages at the end of Matthew when he says, depart from me, I never knew you, right? It's not enough just to have head knowledge. Are you actually known in the family of God? Are you known by the God of the universe? You're members of the household of God. Be known and know people. Because here's the deal. We're all broken sinners desperately in need of a Savior. So none of us should come to these family gatherings and say, well, thank God I'm not like that sinner. Right? There's a whole parable about that specifically. (laughs) Jesus is driving that point home. No, you should go, hey, I'm failing and I'm broken. Here's my junk. And then the person across from the table goes, I hear you. I love you anyway. I'm going to help you figure that junk out. I'm broken in need of a Savior. Here's my junk. There's no pretense. There's no prejudice. There's no superiority. You're known. You're loved. You're forgiven. You're members of the household of God. But not only are you citizens of this kingdom that can't be shaken, and you're members of this new family in Christ, but... You are the temple. Notice what it says here. You're members of the household of God, verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. That this isn't something new, that the foundation that's been laid is the Old and New Testament. That every bit of truth in the scripture, God has been building this family from Adam to you. You are part of this new household that is being built. You are cemented to one another. You are tied to one another. You are inextricably a part of this new temple, this new foundation that is built on the apostles and the prophets and Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. Now, this is hard for us to wrap our minds around because we're Americans and one of the things as Americans we do is pride ourselves on our individuality, right? I can do what I want to, eat what I want to, live how I want to, and no one can tell me any different. The whole reason our country even got here is because we didn't want people telling us what to do, right? So we got on a boat and went all the way across the ocean so that you couldn't tell me what to do, right? We, we love our individuality. But your individuality needs to be killed at the foot of the cross. Because in the church, you're tied to one another, There's no such thing as a house that's built of just one brick sitting out here by themselves going, I'm a house. Look how much of a house I look like. Look how great I am by myself in just this cinder block sitting here. No, you're a block. 
You see that those bricks on top of bricks on top of bricks with a roof and a door and some windows laid on concrete foundation? Like, that's a house. You can't do this thing called Christianity and you can't walk with Jesus and have this Gandhi version of Christianity. You can't say, I really like your Jesus, can't really stand your Christians. And I get it. Some churches are terrible. You probably have your own scars and stories, right? You're even hesitant to come to this thing called church planning because you've been here, done that, and got a t-shirt and a scar with it. Like, I get it. But the God of the universe really doesn't give you a choice. You're cemented to one another. You're tied to one another. You can no more be known and know people and diagnose the brokenness and lead each other to Christ than you can get on WebMD and try to diagnose yourself. It would be the equivalent of me going, no, I don't really want to hear from the one that actually knows how to diagnose me. I just want to get online and, oh, gosh, my allergy symptoms have turned into stage four cancer, right? Is that not how it, how it happens, right? That would be the equivalent of me getting on WebMD and I'm typing in situations and all of a sudden it says I have ovarian issues. No. <laughs> no. But that's how we so often tend to live in our individualistic lives as Americans that we, we, we've got our Jesus, we walk with him and we talk with him and we, we know him and we don't want anything to do with this thing called church. But that's not what the scriptures tell you. The scriptures tell you that, hey, there's a bunch of people who outside of the gospel, you wouldn't have anything in common and you probably wouldn't hang out with each other if you didn't have this faith thing tied into. But guess what? That's kind of the point. That you have young and old, all socioeconomics, all races, all the ethnicities, all backgrounds, all histories woven together, tied together, brick upon brick, laid upon the foundation and your cornerstone is Christ alone but notice what he goes on to say verse 21 in whom the whole structure being joined together grew grows into a holy temple in the lord in him you also being built together into a dwelling place for god by the spirit listen to that beautiful language No longer are you having to build this structure and be nomadic and move it every time, hoping eventually you'll get to the promised land and hoping by chance that either the spirit will descend and be a part or not. No, the very spirit that raised Jesus from the dead for those that have faith in Jesus dwells in you. But the beautiful part about that is the corporate identity that's involved. One individual stone can't be the temple, but put together, cemented together, built on a foundation with a roof and furniture and life and a family dwelling in it, then crazy things start to happen. Supernatural things start to happen. Addictions get crushed. Families get put back together. New families get built. Adoption happens. Homelessness gets answered. Beautiful things start to happen because the very spirit of the God 
that the universe dwells in you and you have been built now into this holy temple. And the very promise that God gave to Abraham that I will be your God and you will be my people becomes true and realized through Jesus Christ in the church. He's not doing multiple different things. The story has always been the same. That there's one thread, one hope, one Christ. And now you, central prayers, have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. The power of the resurrection existing in one another so that you can both know and be known and healing can start to take place because of the power of of what Jesus has done. So you are citizens of a kingdom that can't be shaken. You are members of this new family of God. And you are the holy temple with the spirit of God dwelling among you. So what does that look like? How does that impact how you treat your neighbors? How does that impact how you love the other? How does that impact how you serve your coworkers? How does that impact how you participate here? And how much buy-in happens here? How does it impact how you treat one another? How does it impact your conversations over lunch? How does it impact your marriages? How does it impact your identity among the citizens of Little Rock. That here in the temple of God where God has chosen to dwell through the power of Jesus, you now can both know and be known. That you now have been a people who were strangers, were aliens, without hope, without God, hostile behind a wall, have been invited to sit at his table and eat his food and dying among his other people and you without families have been given families and you without hope have been given hope and that's only true if you have put your faith alone in Jesus Christ. If you haven't done that, the neighbors welcome. We invite you to put your hope into the only one that can fix the brokenness within you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son. And we ask that you would help us to find our hope, our identity, and our security, not in our circumstances, not in our situations, not in our performance, but we would find our hope, identity, and security in your Son. And that we would feel the grace and the comfort and the hope that comes from being knitted together among his body. And you would help us to understand what it means to be <coughs> citizens of a kingdom that can't be shaken and members of a family that will never give up and literally the temple of the living God through which the spirit dwells 
help us to realize that this week and help it help us to realize what that means and how we live our lives. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.